This is a special edition of Franchise Voice, the podcast from the International Franchise Association. We have a ruling on joint employer, and the IFA's Michael Lehman has the latest on this breaking story. This is Franchise Voice, brought to you today by Proposify. I'm Jack Munson. It's Friday, October 27th, and we have a new ruling on the joint employer issue as of yesterday. Joining us now is Michael Lehman. He's the Senior VP of Government Relations and Public Affairs at the International Franchise Association. Michael, I'm guessing you're having a pretty busy couple of days. Jack, the end of the week uh, hasn't gone as we foresaw, but we knew this day was coming, so here we are. So give us an overview on exactly what the ruling was yesterday morning. Yeah, so yesterday, uh, Jack, the long-awaited change in the federal government's joint employer policy uh, came out. And, you know, for those who've been following franchise public policy and law for the last several years know that we've been in uh, really a different era for uh, franchising uh, over the last eight, nine years, ever since Back in 2015, a uh, not so well-known small federal agency, uh, the National Labor Relations Board changed the joint employer standard in a way that makes two or more employers more likely to be liable for a certain group of employees, essentially two employers liable for, uh, you know, one, uh, one employment entity. And so that has a fundamental Whenever you change the business relationship, uh, that has a huge impact on uh, the franchisor-franchisee relationship. And so uh, this policy has now ping-ponged back and forth, uh, you know, in two full revolutions now because uh, the bad joint employer standard of 2015 was eventually repealed and we had um, an era of clarity again uh, where only franchisors that impose direct control uh, over their franchisees and their employees could be found as joint employers and that's what you want you want you know there to be a balance in franchising um, franchisees go into business to be independent operators so you don't want uh, the policy uh, too burdensome but um, what happened yesterday was for now the second time, uh, the National Labor Relations Board put forward a wide open and, in our view, very harmful joint employer standard that will make uh, virtually any franchise relations, recognizable franchise relationship, a potential sitting duck for uh, a joint employer finding in federal labor law. And just on the surface, that is a very unsettling to the franchise community and the viability of the model moving forward if the policy can't change. So you mentioned that you weren't expecting it this week. Was this ruling a surprise or was the timing a surprise? So the um, the the timing is um, was unpredictable. It's actually late. We expected this uh, rulemaking out in August this summer. So here it came at the end of October. And, you know, it's exactly as bad as we anticipated. And as mm-hmm. former NLRB chairman Phil Miscamara described the proposed rule, Everyone is a joint employer now. They just don't know it yet. 
So um, it, it's a very wide open policy. It, um, it's not a universal law. It will in in like a an act of Congress, and it only affects the collective bargaining statute of the National Labor Relations Act. Um, so I do want to sort of provide those caveats. It's not going to cover slip and falls and missed overtime payments in every area of the law, but it's a huge uh, camel's nose under the tent and a very disruptive policy. And so, you know, since we've seen this policy before, there's no suspense in how this works, because in from the 2015 to 2017 period, when franchise brands and franchise operators had to deal with this standard, you know, it cost franchises a lot of money. It cost uh, over 30 billion per year for the franchise community in new operational and legal uh, costs um, as everyone tried to navigate this new unpredictable policy. It changed the way franchisors communicated with franchisees because anything that sniffs now of control of employment terms now has different vulnerability to joint employer finding. Mm. And so, you know, the NLRB is only one agency. The National Labor Relations Act is not a law that every franchise business faces every day. Um, so, again, caveating with that. But this, the bottom line here is that a, a plain language reading of this rulemaking under the National Labor Relations Act is that a franchisor and a franchisee can be found as joint employers, whether or not the entities uh, both have control over employees or even exercise that, that control, the very possibility of uh, reserved or unexercised control, even if it's not actually exercised um, can be a joint employer finding. And that's what's so uh, threatening here. Yeah. The, the very possibility that's kind of scary uh, language there, right? When, when you're thinking about what possibly could happen, especially over the next couple of years. So what do we do about it, Michael? What's next? We've got uh, just so much crazy uh, activity happening right now in DC and, and, and we ain't seen nothing yet compared to what we're going to see next year. What's the plan from IFA? Where do we go and what do we say? Well, uh, and it's probably good that we have a house speaker again as of yes, because uh, <laughs> that uh, re uh, preserves uh, the legislative route in Congress for reversing this. And before I even get into that and answer your question, just to uh, add how we are on the side of angels here, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's, you know, there's some tension in the state of the franchise relationship right now. Franchisors and franchisees in various systems are discussing a number of different issues, and some of that is bubbling up into the public sphere. But the, and so some of our policy opponents are using uh, any of these wedge issues between brands and uh, and franchisees to make the argument that somehow joint employer will be good for franchisees. Um, now, when we uh, went through Oxford Economics this summer and asked actual franchisees if they agreed with this. The findings were that 87% of franchisees um, found or reported that they would be very concerned about the uh, joint employer standard if written took uh, took shape. 
and only 14% of franchisees said they would have even opened their business as a franchise if this rule were in effect. So you can't get, you know, 87%, 86% of people these days to agree the sky is blue, and yet absolutely overwhelming uh, majorities of franchisees very concerned about this policy and what it's going to mean for their business. So we will be um, sharing those data points um, with everyone. And it makes sense because, you know, whether a brand feels compelled to either impose more control or distance themselves from their franchise operations, neither of those uh, outcomes are good for franchise. And this is a change in the middle of the change of the rules in the middle of the game that no one asked for, and is certainly uh, not helpful. Uh, despite some of our again policy opponents pulling the wool over uh, people's eyes, so we have to push a, a resolution uh, through the Congress uh, of disapproval over the joint employer rule. This is what the IFA Advocacy Summit in September last month teed our members up to do. And, uh, and got the and got Capitol Hill um, informed of the reality that this rule is coming. And now that it's here, we know Congress will respond in a bipartisan way. And uh, in all likelihood, we believe the House and even the U.S. Senate will pass uh, a rejection of this policy. Um, it may not become law because it's going to require the White House to also approve the resolution. So the second leg of our strategy, you know, is going to be litigation. This is a uh, completely unworkable uh, regime for the franchise model specifically. And so we are um, uh, certainly analyzing the uh, the final rule that just came out, but uh, very much preserving the uh, right to challenge it in court and uh, hopefully uh, uh, through the brand new IFA Law Center, um, be successful in that challenge as well. I'm glad to hear those numbers, quite frankly, that uh, 87% of the population is uh, of the population of franchisees are are on our side of this argument. This is not a 49-51 kind of thing. This is definitely something that the overwhelming majority of the uh, constituents out there can tell their 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 representative that this is not the way. Um, I, I'm going to run my business. So um, that's actually good to hear that that those numbers came out. And thank you for putting that research together before this week. So we have some uh, some ammunition to, to join the fight with. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. We will follow you on LinkedIn and all of the platforms and especially at franchise.org to get updates. And uh, we look forward to chatting again with you real soon. Thanks, Jack. Joining me now on IFA's Franchise Voice is Kyle Racky. He's the CEO of Proposify. Kyle, how are you? I'm good, Jack. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to talk to you today because I've seen your company name around for a while now, and it feels like it's been here for a few years, but it's really just the past couple of years you've been involved in franchising. Is that correct? That's right. We we started around 2014. We at the time our first uh, kind of initial growth as a company came really from the digital marketing agency world. That's uh, an industry that I have my background is in. Really, we were just trying to help agencies win more deals and and uh, put together proposals in a more efficient manner. But then, as we've grown over the last nine years, we've seen many different types of industries come to us. 
And we started to get um, large commercial franchises and services franchises coming to us and using our product. So that's that's caused us to really want to lean in and learn more about the franchise market in general. Always good to hear more people getting involved in franchising. Tell me about your services. I, I assume this has something to do with writing proposals, right? Yeah. So we're, you know, basically the reason we exist is to help sales teams get more control, consistency, and visibility into their proposals. When we look at people who come to us, typically they're using something like Microsoft Word or PowerPoint or sometimes Excel to send out pricing, to send out, um, you know, uh, an offering to their clients, whether they call it a proposal, a contract, an agreement. And usually what happens when, when companies start to grow is that their sales team uh, doesn't really have consistent materials to use or they're not always using the right materials. So, so sometimes deals go dark and companies don't know why. They have no visibility into what their reps are sending. And then sometimes they find that a buyer got a proposal with the wrong client name, with the wrong pricing, with the wrong terms, and it it, it caused them to either lose the deal or sell a bad deal. And so that's when they typically come to us as they say, it's chaos. We need to get a tool in place to make it more streamlined. And what we found is that franchises have that exact same problem, but maybe times 10 because they're not dealing with a centralized sales team. They're dealing with multiple franchisees who they have even less visibility and control over. Something that would help franchisees do their job much quicker and more efficiently and and maybe with uh, with some fewer mistakes. That sounds like a, a pretty good idea to me. Um, you said you work with a lot of service brands. Are you seeing a, just a ton of growth like we've seen over the past couple of years? Is it leveling off or what do you see happening for next year? So I think for very small businesses, we've we've definitely seen a, a contraction within the last year or so, uh, certainly from our customers who tend to be on this much smaller end, you know, mom and pop shops or very small companies. Um, where we've seen the growth is with larger teams, including franchises. So, um, you know, uh, Everline came to us a couple of years ago, started adopting our software, quickly grew from, you know, a handful of, of business units to... Um, I, I don't want to use the the wrong number, but somewhere over 70, 80, one of the fastest growing franchises in North America expanded into Canada and they get value from our product by, you know, essentially that same thing, empowering their franchisees to send really professional um, looking proposals. And it tends to do better with commercial because, you know, if you're selling to a homeowner, you know, maybe you don't need a really robust proposal. Maybe a, a simple quote is fine. But if you're selling to a large, you know, another franchise like a Tim Hortons or, you know, a large sort of fast food chain, they typically need to see more than pricing. They need to really understand the value that they're capturing. So we've seen, you know, growth continuing in the larger kind of group of anybody who has a sales team of 10 or more people. Now, we know in SaaS, which is the industry that I'm a part of, software as a service, it's been it's been a tough year for many software companies, and they've seen longer sales cycles and lower close rates. Um, but services, the the thing about you know selling parking lot maintenance, which is what Everline does, is you need that in in uh, recession and in good times. So those right. are very stable right. businesses. Yeah, yeah, very good to hear. And you also have something that I've seen called the state of proposals, and it looks like some sort of report or data or analysis that you guys are doing every year. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, this is something we started doing because for the first time ever, 
um, proposals were not a black box, right? It wasn't this dark art that we just go, well, we know people send them, but we really have no data. Because we're capturing millions of proposals that are getting sent every out every year, we're able to, to analyze them, to, to sort of run them through machine learning, to get humans involved, and just to pull out, like, what are those insights? What are the things that people are, are doing differently when they have higher close rates and send out more winning proposals? Everything from discounting strategies to um, the fact that, you know, proposals that include images close at a rate of 82%. So, wow. Um, Wow. That that again is an argument for like when people go, well, I just send out my pricing on a napkin that I sketch out or <laughs> I send an email with the numbers. Right. It's like put some thought into the presentation. There's a reason why Apple has the brand that it does is because they care about the buying experience. They care about design. They care about professionalism. And you feel that in every interaction. Why not the proposal too? I love that idea. If people would like to see the state of proposals, or maybe learn a little bit more about that uh, database of info that you have, where can they find that? And is it something that they can access for free or how do we get it? Yeah. So we give it away for free and we update it every year. So the 2023 state of proposals can be found on our website, uh, proposify.com. So our name is like proposal, but if I, some people struggle with the name, so that's why I clarified. <laughs> proposify.com. Uh, um, there's a banner at the top that says state of proposals. You could also go to um, state of proposals with dashes between words if you want to just get direct access to it. And you can view it right online. You don't have to enter a name or email or anything like that for us to uh, follow up and harass you. You can just get it for free right, right on the website. Even better. Well, very good. If we would like to follow up and harass you a little bit, Kyle, and maybe ask <laughs> you a few more questions, where can people connect with you? Sure. So again, if they're interested in the product, they want to maybe see some case studies from Everline, Service Master Clean, some of our other uh, franchise customers, um, they can go on proposify.com, go to the case study section, uh, book a demo if you want to see the product. If you want to follow up with me specifically, I'm active on LinkedIn. Kyle Racky is the name, R-A-C-K-I, pronounced wacky. Uh, some people can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. All right. Very good. We will connect with you there and we will see you at an IFA event sometime very soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jack. And thanks to you for listening to Franchise Voice from the International Franchise Association. For more information, go to franchise.org.